Welcome to Reconstructed Faith, a podcast where we talk about truth you can build your life on. We hope to dive into the hard conversations of life and faith and seek out reasonable, substantive answers. My name is Colson Lechner, and I'm joined by Chris Sherrod and Chris Legg. This is Reconstructed Faith. Hello and welcome to the Reconstructed Faith Podcast. My name is Colson Lechner and you are about to listen to the third installment of the conversation that the Chris has had with David C. Smalley. Now, if you're just now stepping into this series, I would encourage you to start back with an Atheist View Part 1 and 2, along with our commentary episodes. Uh, that'll hopefully give you a better basis of where the conversation started before jumping right into the middle of the content in this episode. So just keep that in mind. Um also, as, I, as I've said before, put your thinking caps on for this one. Uh, jot down any questions that you have, and in the next episode, we'll sit down with the Chris's to get more of their insight into their time with David. Um, so, without any further ado, here is an Atheist View, Part 3. You never think of adopt me as an option? Well, looking into our adoption system, it's, it's pretty horrific. And a lot of the things the kids have to go through in those children's homes, it's, uh, it's pretty sad and pretty brutal. So, do you have any adopted perhaps, kids? No. No. Even as a humanist, do you have an adopted kids? I, I adopted my son uh, from my, 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 that's a long story, but when I came with my son last time, right, I right. don't know if you know this, he actually died last year in a motorcycle accident. David, I did not know that. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. He was a, I, I had a, I wasn't, it wasn't official, but I raised him from, I met him when he was eight months old wow. and, and raised him to 20, 20 years old. He died two weeks for his 21st birthday. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm so, so I, sorry to hear that. I, yeah, I understand. But yeah, he, I did adopt uh, kind of, just not officially. Not officially yeah. adopted. But I took in a child that wasn't mine. You know? Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think more people could and perhaps should, but you know, a way to stop a lot of people from having to go through that and to stop people from having children that they don't want or can't take care of, and to stop more children from being born with a lot of really debilitating, painful disorders, is if you know that ahead of time, you can abort, and that reduces harm. It reduces suffering. In many cases, abortion yeah. can be the ethical thing to do. So what I think, I think what probably Chris would say and what I would say is, is that shows, so the, this, uh, this objective standard of morality applies until it doesn't. And they, they all apply until they don't, or they all apply until, because there's, there isn't an objective standard. It's still well, John Rawls or somebody else coming up with a series of rules. And then he says, this is the rules we should follow. <clears throat> and of course, there's no, there's no obligation for anybody else to follow them. And, and so how do you make a call on someone like an Andrea Yates? Is that evil or is it mental illness? And are those the same thing when mentally ill people right. do things? Is that is well, that truly morally well, evil me, or me, just mental illness? Right. Let me be clear about something. When I say I think objective moral truth exists, it's not always objectively morally true. Right. So there are subjective morals. Okay. And I think even for Christians. In fact, from my perspective, as an atheist, we can go, okay, let's pick something like the age to marry. If, if Israel said it's going to be 19... And Iraq said 17. Is one of them morally wrong? Me? You're asking me? I'm just saying, in general. Like we, the the I, Bible is silent as to that topic. Right, but 
still. So that means it's a, it's a subjective moral. If you if you live in a culture where seventeen year olds get married all the time, sure. And then you move to a culture where nineteen year olds get married and you can't. I mean, just recently they changed the age to buy cigarettes. I don't know if you know that. Sure. I don't smoke, but I I see signs all the time. It used to be eighteen, right? And just recently went to twenty one. Were we morally wrong for years when it was eighteen to buy cigarettes? And now, no, that's a subjective thing. There, you know, one could argue it's morally wrong to sell cigarettes. Right, we could have that argument. There are several things that are subjective. Is it morally wrong to run a stop sign? What if you're in the middle of nowhere, like I don't know, Tyler, right? And you run a stop sign with n- <laughs> <laughs> with no one around for miles and miles, and you run a stop sign. You're breaking a law, but is it morally wrong? Probably not. You're trying to get to the emergency room, right? There you go. Right, right. Is it morally wrong to lie to someone? There are several situations where it's the ethical ethical thing to do to lie. Of course. So, you know. I just think that because I say that there are objective moral truths, typically about the, the classic examples of harm, you know, harm to human beings and things like that. Right. It doesn't mean that I'm saying there is a across the board objective moral standard. In fact, my argument to you guys is Christianity is not objective. You cannot have objective moral truths in Christianity. And this may be a new one for you. But I submit to you that I can have an objective moral standard and I can base it in uh, human flourishing versus harm. That's the standard. And the mechanism by which to judge it is the veil of ignorance. And that's the easy way to design out this platform to say, we can put everything through this test. It removes my subjectivity and it just puts everything in play right in front of us. Logic, reason, all wins, no religion required. On the other hand, you guys, whatever you say is an objective moral standard changes if God changes his mind about it. So in your worldview, we could say murder is always wrong. Okay, murder being what? The illegal killing of a person. Okay. But if any at any given moment in your worldview, if God commands you to do something that is against man's law, it becomes good because God commanded it. So you don't believe God can command evil things to happen or he wouldn't, right? So whatever he commands becomes good. Even if you, if I ask you right now, whatever scenario, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm not going to use right. a played out example. I lay out a scenario and you say to me, that is morally wrong. Right. And in that moment, hypothetically speaking, God commands you to do that thing. That thing becomes good because God commanded it and God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. We know the chant. So if God commands it, it becomes good. That means your morality is not objective at all but rather it is subjective to the God that you worship who could change his mind at any given moment. Are you thinking more of Abraham as an example again? Anything, honestly. Okay. Okay. There's a, a 1 Samuel 15.3 where God uh, tells Saul to go wipe out the Amalekites, and then he even starts listing, I want you to kill the, you know, the nursing infants, I want you to kill the women, I want you to kill the, the sheep, auction the donkey. That would be wrong under any Christian morality. But God commands Saul to do it, and they go, well, anytime I talk to a Christian, they go, yeah, you know those Amalekites. Those were bad guys. Oh, <laughs> so you wipe out the babies? Like, you just kill the babies? And I had a, a former uh, uh, Jewish person who's now atheist, you know, Jewish uh, culturally. Right, and, right. You know, ethnically, just not in the church or in the synagogues. She told me that when they were in, like, third or fourth grade, they had to write Amalek or Amalek on the bottom of their shoe 
and stomp around the classroom to stomp out the Amalekites. Wow. Like mm. literally acting out, stomping on the heads of infant babies in the Amalekites because they were acting out 1 Samuel 15, 3. And it was happiness. It was prideful. It was we were doing it for the Lord. Right. That is on a new level of disturbing, right? But any other situation, you would talk about abortion, killing a baby is wrong. And if you say that as a Christian, was it wrong when God said to go wipe out the Amalekites? No, no, no. When God says to kill the baby, then it's fine. When God causes the miscarriage, it's fine. When God does the abortion, it's okay. So then your morality is really subjective based on God's feelings. Now, I know Malachi 3, 6 says, I, the Lord, do not change. But we see changes in God throughout Scripture, right? We see him repent that he made humans. We see him make a deal. We see him make a bet for Job. We see him change his mind and uh, bring evil upon people or wipe out the firstborn. We see him sort of love people and then hate people and then wipe people out and then repent that he made us and flood the earth and then bring things back. We see this whole evolution of this character, God, in the Bible. So he can change, and he often changes what he considers to be good or evil, and he'll make a, a decision to do something. And if you thought it was wrong, you thought it was evil, and then God does it, it has to be good to you. So your morality is really just how God is feeling that day. I don't want to insult you or boil it down, but ultimately, if God changes his mind. You guys remember um, Bruce Almighty? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Remember when Jim Carrey puts his, uh, or some guy puts his arms behind his back, and he, oh, Bruce, yeah, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. He's, he's challenging that Morgan Freeman is God, and he puts his ar- fingers behind his back. He says, how many fingers am I holding up? And he says, seven. And Jim Carrey only has five fingers on his hand, and he goes, no, ha! And he has two extra fingers right, on the one right, hand. He's like, yeah. ah! And he freaks out. <laughs> so God can't tell a lie. Whatever God says and does is good. That's the, 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 the image that pops into my head. So if something was bad yesterday, and then God decides to do it today, you then have to say it's good. So I challenge that there's even objective morality possible in the Christian worldview. I think the an initial response is for us, God gives the standards because we need it as humans. So a good example, I, you know what you alluded to, is right after God flooded the earth, he tells, Adam, he tells Noah, don't take human life because uh, they're made in God's image. Right. Uh, right after he just took the lives of all those people. Mm-hmm. And so I think the Christian view or explanation is going to be, we need all those standards. God, because of his role as creator, can give and take life because that's his, that's, that, that's his, I don't know if I'd use the word prerogative or right. Prerogative is appropriate, um, yeah. Well, in can, other words, he can do that when, when he knows, um, like, this is, the, this is the proper thing to do at this moment. But he's not saying, whenever you feel like it, you can go do this because he knows that we're going to have, from our limited perspective, we're going to make selfish bad choices about that but he sees all or knows all or, or knows the right response does that make sense oh yeah 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 what i'm trying to say that's the i, w- I wouldn't define I mean, so fundamentally david what you're saying is is correct i actually would agree with that in that when we say objective moral standard what we mean is the the duties and obligations given by god which are subjective which are i mean they're they are subjective from him. Oh God, right. Okay, so if you if you mean what God calls for, then yeah, that would be, it would be, so there are, there are you're right, there are general, that and that's, that's necessary for a good understanding of morality. Otherwise, if you just have a don't lie rule, then you're stuck with, okay, but how do I apply that when the Nazis are banging on the door and I've got Jews hidden in the house? Like right. it's a, okay, so... So what we, we there is a more complex standard 
from that perspective in that we have to decide to do what we believe God would have us do. And so you are right in that it could behaviorally change. But I would even say you're not, what you're doing there is there's a higher moral standard that applies. In other right. words, you're, you're basing it on, if I'm going through the stop sign because i got to get to the emergency room, I'm right. supposed to follow the laws of the land, Romans 13. But in this in- instance, there's human life. Right, there's a higher stake, priority. So there's a higher priority, so lying is wrong. But if there's another, so it's not like I'm throwing lying out. Right. I'm just saying in this instance, I'm going to apply. And we all have life. that innate morality. That's why we feel the need to explain, well, here's why I ran that light, or here's why I, because we, we have that innate tendency. Right, and I, I just, I think there's evidence that that innate morality is developed through compassion, through evolution, because we're social creatures. Right. And you believe that that innate morality was written on your heart by God. Part of it is because as a as an evolutionist, I cannot see how the first per, how the first creature evolved a cultural sensitivity. Like I, I don't that I've I've tried to read the research on it, and the first one is always going to be disadvantaged, and there has to be a first one who evolves, who gains an advantage over all of his compatriots, and how the first one evolves partnering with his compatriots, even though they're trying to kill him. Like and how that gives him an advantage, except it seems like the nice guy would always be killed in the very first generation. No, 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 no. Have you ever seen those? Um, I'm not sure if it's alligators or crocodiles, but they lay on the bank with their mouths wide open, and these white birds come in and walk yeah, right. into their mouths. Right. Who was the first bird to do that? Right. Right. <laughs> Who was the first one to thought there's some food? Right. On that tooth, let me go just pick that out. And why was the alligator like this is cool with me? So even though we don't know which one was the first one to take the shot, or right. we know it exists, we know that it's happening in oh, nature. I don't deny that at we, all. I mean, unless that I know the bird said a prayer. <laughs> first bird, <laughs> first bird said a prayer, and I don't know. No, I, that's I, that's what I'm saying is as a, I, I have no problem with evolution. Just a, I, I think it needs guidance. I think you would have to have some intentionality behind it. My main problem with all of that is what that settles into is. The, the love that I think I have for my children is actually just kin's, kinsman or, or kin's, uh, what's kin the word? Selection. Kin selection. And um, I think it's actually bigger than that. I think it's more than that. I think it's an esoteric concept. I wouldn't say it's just kin selection. I would say kin selection is at the base of it. But I think that when I was talking about it, I was reducing it down to a very simple prairie dog, you know, whale, you know, these, these, they're still advanced mammals, but they're not human beings. Mm-hmm. So, so I think we have an advanced level of that. Um, surely these, these, these animals are better at us, better than us at a lot of stuff. Even some human things like memory and reaction time. There are animals that are better that beat us at our own games all the time. There's a whole research study on video with the chimpanzee has reads numbers mm-hmm. like one through 10 and they're all scrambled on the screen and then it flashes for two seconds and then it goes away and then you have to touch the squares in order of the numbers, the chimp gets it like 90% of the time and the sure. humans fail 90% of the time. It's huh. incredible because the chimp does that all day and has learned what the patterns are and just knock, 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 and then gets it. And the humans, they, they brought in the, like, I think memory champion that like does this for a living. And he only got to like four or five and only completed it to 10 a few times. Like, I don't know what treat they gave him, but it was interesting. <laughs> it was interesting to, to watch that. But, um, I think at the end of the day, these, 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 these mammals that are just on the kin selection level, the prairie dog yelling out, or the white-tailed deer that flashes their tail to warn 
that the whole herd is in danger. That's on a primitive level. Right. Your love for your children is on a much, you would never just drop your child and be like, walk or die. Right. But deer do that all the time. Right. Learn to walk in 17 seconds because there's a pack of wolves following us. Let's go. Right. You know, you wouldn't do that. You'd stay and fight the wolves and die with your kids. Right. So clearly there is more there. But I just think it's more time with evolution. I think we have stronger mirror neurons. We have stronger compassion. We have stronger love. And we have more ability to feel that emotion than those animals do. And I think that's what that love for your children is. It's a much for you. Morality is just complexity. Yeah, We're just more complex, that. and so we've invented a concept that we give a name to, morality. Right. Animals still act what we would call morally in several situations. Ours is just more complex. Not necessarily to say that it's always better, because there are animals that treat each other better than some humans treat humans. For sure, sure. But across the board, when you feel that, please don't think I'm saying it's just kin selection. I think we have a very advanced level of that. And I think there's more layers to what we can feel versus what a prairie dog or a gazelle feels for its child. But that's only, it's only quantitatively different. It's not, it's not actually something, there's no, there's no soul or spirit level. There's no, there's no transcendence to that. It's just. I think if you put both humans and gazelles under an MRI, I think you'd be able to measure and see where the compassion is lighting up in the brain, right? whether it's the frontal lobe or the prefrontal cortex or whatever parts are firing, you can go, there's a lot more activity in the compassion center of the brain of the human than it is for the gazelle. And is that what makes us more responsible? Is, is the complexity of our brains, that's what makes us more responsible? Yes. That we're, we're no longer leaving the slow herd member behind to be eaten by the wolves. We're now creating special homes for them, giving them the freedom to reproduce. We're doing rather than keeping them from doing that, that we're not, we're no longer allowing that type of evolution. We've, we've kind of yes. stopped that. Yes. Our, our complexity makes us more responsible. And that follows that God's complexity makes him more responsible than humans. Right. So if I know, if, if you, let's say Chris, that you and I, are let's say you come to my place and you're staying. No, let's let's, let's be realistic. I'm staying with you, mm-hmm. and I'm on the road doing comedy. You go, hey, you can stay at my place. And I go, all right, cool. So I stay with you, uh-huh. and then I go, hey man, I'm gonna go to sleep. I gotta crash before my show. Please wake me up at six. If I'm not up by six, I'm gonna miss my show. Right. You're awake. I'm sleeping. Right. I can't wake myself out of a sleepingness. Right. Fair. Yep. So you have the responsibility to wake me because you said you would. You said you would keep me from harm. Right. Psalm 121.7. You said you would keep me from harm, and you have the power, you have the knowledge, and you're the only one conscious, and you're the only one that knows we both exist in that moment because I, I'm out. Okay. So you have the obligation to knock on the door and say, David, wake up. Right? Telling the atheist that they are responsible for finding God, back to this divine hiddenness argument, is akin to telling the sleeping person you're responsible for reminding Chris to wake you up. Right. And I say, no. If you are the conscious, intelligent being that is all aware and you promise to keep me from harm, it's on you. It's on you to knock on the door. It's on you to come to me. You can't expect the mindless, drooling idiot in the bed right. to snap out of it and somehow come to you to remind you to wake me up. And if uh, compared to God's intelligence... 
in your worldview, we are the mindless sleeping idiots, and he's the one walking around the house while we're a couple of bumbling idiots asleep. So why is it my responsibility to wake up and find him when he knows exactly where I am and exactly what it would take to wake me? So if he were to, let's say, come to earth (laughs) as a human and say this is to see me is to see the Father, would that be? Well, we don't know that he did that. We just know that people wrote down that he did that and we're supposed to believe their stories. But would that be good enough for you or does it need to be to you? In other words, if he did, let's just pretend New Testament documents are reliable and he does show up. That's a big pretend. I know. Okay. But if he did, is it enough that he did it then and left the record, or does he have to show up in your in the twenty first century? Yeah, I don't think that's enough, and the reason is because he also tells us that humans are fallible. Mm-hmm. He tells us that humans are sinners, and we know that humans have the ability to make mistakes and be dishonest. Yet he wants me to trust these fallible, sinful humans with the entire Word of God. So. That's like me writing with a broken pen and hoping you're going to decode it 2,000 years later. Why make it that difficult? If the Bible tells us that God is not the author of confusion, why are there over 30,000 denominations of Christianity and 64 different versions of the Holy Bible, some with books, with more books and less books and 66 books in the Apocrypha, and, but they all say they're the Holy Bible and they disagree and the, the New World... Uh, uh, the New World Translation just omits verses that the Jehovah's Witnesses don't like, right. and but it's all under the same book. I mean, I'm not. I know that the listeners are going to think I'm arrogant. Oh, how arrogant is this atheist to say God must show me? I'm not saying he must. I'm going to continue living my life as though he doesn't exist. I'm always open to evidence, and if he does, he's the only one that knows we both exist, and he's the only one that know what it would that knows what it would take to convince me. And I have an audience. I have a following, somewhat of a small one compared to some of the larger larger atheists out there. But I would love to turn my podcast into some, uh, oh my goodness, there was this big conversion and all my, man, I would kill it on the Christian comedy circuit. You know, <laughs> I would, I'm, I welcome it. My life wouldn't change that much. I would just be talking from the other side of the table, you know, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it and I'm willing to listen to it and I'm willing to have these conversations. I just don't think the sleeping idiot is the one that should be responsible for developing the relationship. The one with all the intelligence should do it. And when you talk about him coming and dying and all of that, I get your point, but I don't know that he did it. I just know that people wrote down that he did it and I'm supposed to put stock in fallible humans who were capable of being dishonest and I just can't put my faith in human beings. And I feel like that's what Christianity ultimately is. It's not that you have faith in Jesus so much as you have faith in the people that wrote stuff down about Jesus. Because if that stuff isn't true, there's nothing about your faith that's real, sure. right? So yeah. really, your real faith is in these you know, countless of you know, thousands of scribes who are unknown, people who translated it to English in many cases, people who were behind this Google machine telling us what the Greek word for this is. There's so much study that goes into understanding what this word is. So even if you learn the original Hebrew and the original Greek and the original Aramaic, those people could have been lying, right? We just don't know their intentions. So it's a lot of people, a lot of fallible people I have to have faith in in order to get to that being the word of God. And so, yeah, I would want something a little more concrete than a game of telephone over three different languages in 1,600 years with 43 different authors. To me, that's a huge stretch. That doesn't sound very humanist of you. <laughs> you keep talking about these fallible, 
flawed, failing, <laughs> sinner, liar humans. There are uh, there are a wide range of wonderful humans and ridiculous liars, and they all come to my comedy shows. So. <laughs> I believe it, and they and they come to our church as well. Um, sometimes they work on the staff at our church. Ooh, that's right. Na- name all names like yeah. me. Names. Oh, like, I'll start with me. <laughs> are you the ridiculous liar? Um, I have been known to be a ridiculous liar. Ooh. Yep, that's right. one of the things I. Could your I producer needed an just, external source to save me from could, that. Could your producer just cut that clip? Yeah, exactly. We'll see if that gets added gonna, in. We're going to start That's the right. show with that. Sometimes, sometimes I can be a um really nice guy. That's what, if that's what, if it sounds like that, it got edited. No, it didn't. It, it's that's not the problem here. That's not the case. Um, this is really good, and I I think it's really valuable. I I think um, probably the analogy. Um, uh, I think I think I like your analogy, and I like the idea of wrestling through the analogy of the sleeping person. I think probably the analogy that that I would use and have used actually before is is the idea of the <clears throat> which you've heard said before the the homeless guy who knows where the bread is, and and it's a um, you know what 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 more convincing is necessary. But I totally also agree with you. You're right that God knows what that would be, and it's it's His call to make and to which which hoops to jump through for us and which ones not to jump through for us that if we say here's here's what I require and or even if I don't know what I require um, I think I, I, I saw one of the talks when I don't know if it was who you're referencing earlier but um, in a discussion or in a debate referencing the um, you know that if God wrote on the wrote on the sky this yeah. but you know I probably then I would think it was a just a, you know, an acid trip kicking back in after all these years type yeah, of thing. Like, yeah, I remember uh, uh, Barry, <coughs> Dr. Barry Creamer. Have you guys heard of him? He's got a radio show in Dallas. I don't know. I don't recognize the name. It's called Coffee with Creamer now. <coughs> He's at um. Oh gosh, I should have known the name of the school. It's it's a Christian school in uh, the Dallas Fort Worth area. Uh, Barry Creamer, I believe he's one of the lead professors there. If not, he may be running the whole school by now. But he on his radio show. Uh, he said, "We a caller, a caller called him when I was on in the radio studio with him, and they said something about telescopes. It was an atheist. They said something about telescopes and God, and until I can see God with a telescope, and uh, he said, uh, Barry Creamer said, I, I think if we were able to see God with a telescope, that wouldn't be God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really brought that into perspective. Like if we see something out there hammering on a planet, we're like, uh oh, like that's." that's <laughs> That's probably you know, he may be yeah. on the payroll, but that's that's not good. What's the uh, what, which Star Trek movie was that? Was that like five or whatever when they they go find God and and God's like, I need to use your ship, and they're like, Wait, what? why would God need my starship? Um, you know, a, a, a just funny, a very powerful alien. A funny thing about that is a lot of atheists will use iron chariots in their yeah. screen names. Yes, in right. Because that's the formats. one thing that stops God forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God goes into battle with someone and says he, you know, he was he was with ran Deborah out of and the, Barak. He, he was ran out of the land because the enemy had ch- chariots of iron. And atheists are like, "Wait, what? This guy's a god, and he <laughs> yeah. can't beat these chariots of iron? Like, how do you guys deal with some stuff, little stuff like that?" That like, is, is it's it, a the you, problem you think is it's just the story. You think each it's a, one of them is a teachable. <laughs> Like, I mean, I've taught through that passage and it takes through the story of Deborah and Barak and to understand. But you don't believe it really happened. But it takes like two hours. Do you think it's a real story or do you think it's just a... uh, Do I think Deborah and Barak really fought against the... With God. Do you think God was actually driven out of the land because of iron chariots? No, no, no. And that's not what it says. It actually doesn't. It's it's taking a coin, a, a turn of phrase... 
that says it, it in the in the language it just talks about how he cha- they were they chased the people out of the highlands but weren't able to chase them out of the lowlands because they had iron chariots but the language in it implies god fought for them right. and chased their enemies out of the highlands but they were unable to defeat their enemies in the lowlands because the enemies had iron chariots and right. it, and if you if you combine it together it makes it sound like God, God, God was defeating the enemies until he ran into those iron chariots, well, and he's like, oh, same. now I'm hosed. I, what all, do I do with that? It's all in order, though, right? It's all in the same book. Oh, it's all connected. Yeah, it's all in the story of Deborah and Barak in yeah. Judges. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. So, yes, teaching, it, again, we have a, and this is this is actually, I mean, just something that if you feel like researching at some point as you talk with a lot of Christians, because you'll have a lot of Christians who are actually relatively new at this or unaware of this, is... Yeah. Is the rejuification of Christianity and understanding Scripture through a Jewish lens has been vital to it's it's a I would say after almost maybe fifteen hundred years of Christianity treating Jesus and even the the Holy Scriptures as though they were Hellenist writings Greco Roman writings and there's been a a return to understanding these things as you have to you have to be able to read them through the lens of the culture that they were written in. Um, and so there's some really great materials out there, the Bible Project podcast, um, the Naked Bible podcast, and they're engaging with some of this stuff at a new, in some, in some ways that are really helpful. And it's, it's not new, it's just remembered. It's, it's the way it was done early on before some of the medieval schisms and now um, going back to, to reexamining some of these. And it's, it, um, I know you know uh, Cohen, uh, Paul Cohen, who wrote oh, Is God a yeah. Moral Monster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Copen. Sorry, Copen. I almost, whenever he said, um, we were talking about morality, and, and Chris said something about, he goes, there was this book, and I almost went, God's Moral Monster? Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He said 70, or you said it's it was in the 90s, 90s, and I was like, oh, that yeah, wasn't yeah. it. Yeah. So um, I think there is this, the, the you know, the purpose for having this conversation, one, is it will guide uh, it'll guide some of our future conversations and regarding the some of the um the convert you know you you are hearing you hear from atheists and agnostics and that kind of stuff in, in ways that we cannot could not probably right, right and so to help guide us as we're talking with people as far as you know what are the big questions what are people struggling with um and 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 you know some of it is some of it is going to be it, it helps give us some some ways to engage in those conversations in some new ways as well, guiding us moving forward. Um, and uh, man, and it's, and it's, it's time we're going to need, we need got to wrap up the, the taking the perspective of how do we, how do we engage with and talk about some of these things? And what, what we want our listeners to hear is these are the, the, the questions of deconstructing faith of deconstructing our beliefs of deconstructing what we were raised with, um, man, in, in my mind, one of the most important things we talked about for our listeners and for our podcast people, whatever, is, is the beginning part of that conversation that we had today. And I appreciate, Chris, you asking uh, David some of those questions as well. Just, um, man, what, what a, is, is, how important is it that we don't chastise, that we don't condemn, that we don't chase off people who ask questions, who disagree, who, who want to have those conversations and dig into them? Um, and, and I'm a firm believer in, and uh, if God is a God of truth, he's not afraid of us asking questions. Right. That would make no sense. Absolutely. And I'll just, I know you're wrapping up. I want to add one thing to that. 
as a believer, when you get ready to talk to an atheist, there are several atheists who whose entire point of talking to you is to try to deconvert you. Right. That's a real thing. Sure. But the vast majority of them actually just want to be understood. Right. Because they because Christians often this this what we often get hit with is Oh, you just want to choose against God so you can fornicate. Oh, you want to choose against God so you can go sin without... Right. That makes zero sense. That's like saying when you're 10 years old, you're just going to choose to believe your dad's not there so you can eat all the cookies. Like, right. no, he's coming home. Like, that doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs> it's just, it's ridiculous to think we would intentionally choose against something that we know exists in order to be bad. It, it's such a reduction of our intelligence. So rather than look at that person as though they're intentionally choosing atheism. What I beg you to do is to please understand that this person did not choose to be an atheist. They realized they did not believe and they were honest about it. Right. So the only reason you know that they are an atheist is because they trusted you enough to tell you the truth. Right. You are sitting next to people and statistically there are people in your congregation. Right. Oh, we know that. Do not believe but are afraid to say anything about it. Mm-hmm. it. They don't want to lose their community. They don't want to be ostracized. They don't want to be... Some of them could be in this room. Yeah. You have no idea. Right. <laughs> the point is that it's a very hard thing for a non-believer when they start realizing <clears throat> there's a hole in this and there's a hole in that, and this is something that's always bothered me, and it bothers me more and more the more I think about it. And then I heard a podcast, and then I read a book, and man, this one thing, right. and that's go- getting to a boiling point and when it finally boils over and they realize that they are not a believer, but they're just going through the motions, and then they break that shell and are honest with you, and your response is, you just want to be a fornicator. You're, you're not doing yourself <laughs> so any favors. so hard for me to fathom that conversation. But yeah. It happens all the time yeah. to us. Like, it yeah. happens all the time. So we're not choosing it. It's not something we're making a decision. It's a realization that we're just telling you the truth about. And you don't want people to not want to be honest with you. Right, that's right. Right, and so I remember in a big fight with my mom one time about this, I just said, do you want me to lie to you? Right. She said, no. And I said, do you want me to fake it and go to church and pretend to believe and lie to the preacher? She's like, well, no. No. I said, all I'm doing is being (laughs) honest, and then people want to talk to me about their faith, so I record it. Right. Like, that's my job. That's what I do, and I try to make it fun as a comedian. And she's like, well, I guess. You know, (laughs) and that's that's really where we are. She's been on the show twice now, by the way. That's awesome. She she won't talk about religion, though. (laughs) We'll we'll get into Trump, and we'll get into politics. We'll get into immigration. She will not touch religion. Interesting. And I said, why? And her response was, this is, these are her words, bleep it if you need to. <laughs> she says, uh, because you're going to say something sacrilegious and piss me off. <laughs> and I went, okay, mom. Fair enough. And, yeah, fair enough. So then and I brought my equipment for nothing. So there you it's go. It's all packed into my backpack and she won't talk to me about it. She won't do it. Fascinating. No. And anyway. I think that's what we said a couple weeks ago that yeah. there are people who will deconstruct because it's the current, maybe looking like that. This is what everyone seems to be doing, but they're really, what, what, the the oh the quote that Colson read was oh, someone responding to Matt Chandler making it sound like yeah it's just kind of flippant and yeah exactly and not treat it that way that oh. it's not a flippant thing that it really is something that you want to hear yeah where another, they're coming from another yeah. thing is like a lot of people were really badly abused 
Right, absolutely. By, sure. by pastors and oh, preachers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of which were their fathers. Yep, right. And what you don't know is the hours and hours and hours they spent in their bedrooms, on their knees, crying for the abuse to stop, only to have it interrupted by molestation or right. anger or beating or <clears throat> some ridiculous, painful thing. And this went on for 10, 12, 13, 17 years right. in some cases. And then that person goes to college and then gets a degree in microbiology and then a PhD and announces that they're an atheist. And then they find themselves on a podcast and a Christian looks at them and goes, you never really had faith then. Right. Just imagine what that does to somebody who had so much faith. They dealt with a monster in their home. Right. Thinking mostly that if God exists, he knows this is happening. Therefore I must deserve it. Right. I'm 12, but I deserve it. What did I do wrong? I'm gay. I can't help that I'm attracted to boys. I must deserve this. God must hate me because he right. says I'm worthy of death. He says I should be stoned to death. He, you know, even people who support me should be should be killed according to Romans 1, 26 through 32. They feel like there's something out there that's perfect that is making their life hard on purpose because they are terrible. Think about what that does to their psyche, what that does to their self-esteem, and so when they get that education and they no longer believe, it's a sense of relief that, oh my gosh, all of those terrible things that happened happened because my dad was a jerk, not because I deserved it. I was never terrible. I didn't need all of that pain and suffering. There was nothing that was allowing that. So it's not that they're choosing to believe as a mental block. It's that once they realize they don't believe, this sense of relief washes over them and they go, Oh, I'm gay because four to ten percent of all mammalian species in biology is known to be attracted to the same sex, and it's perfectly within nature on some percentage level for this to happen. And it's an anomaly, but it's okay, like it's fine, and nothing has to hate me for it. And then they don't feel judged, they don't feel hated, especially by the creator of the universe. Right. And then they feel loved by humans. Right. People who were there for them, people who lifted them out. They start giving credit to the people who were there for them in their time of need. And and so to look at that person and go, you never really had faith. Yeah. Oh man, that just rips the. You life probably don't remember life. David, but I'm a, I'm a therapist, and and uh, used to do that full time. Now I only do it part time, and so I have sat in with people having those conversations about being sexually abused by their father, the pastor, yeah. during their entire childhood, or their multiple fathers in a row, or multiple people in the church. So, yeah, I'm right there with you, um, experiencing that and the reality of the pain of that. So. Okay, very good. Man, I, David, thank you for driving down here from Dallas and spending this time with us. And, uh, and there's plenty of, us, plenty of things for us to unpack, I think, for probably several weeks um, to continue to work through, and um, I really appreciate it. And I'm really sorry to hear about your son. That, that is mind-boggling. I, I just yeah, I can't believe a, I didn't know that. I hate to a, hear that for you. That's a, tough, a lot of pressure. It's a tough situation, and I don't talk about it because it's, it's, been, a, almost, it's been over a year, and it's still under investigation. So. Wow. There was some stuff that went down, and we're trying to figure out exactly what it was. So, yeah, um, there's been a lot going on for you in the last oh few yeah. years. Oh yeah, but I, I appreciate you letting me do this. And either one yeah. of you, seriously, reach out to me, give him my info. Yeah, oh yeah, us. I would love to have you one-on-one -on -one conversation on my show. I do it. I record every Monday, so wow. I would love to have a show. And if you want to come back on too, Chris, I would, I would love to have you. This yeah, man, That's I love awesome. these. I love these conversations. Yeah, it's great. All right, well, let's wrap up our time. Thanks uh, for those of you who have been listening, and um, in fact. This probably got edited into probably two, at least two episodes for us. Um, 
And, uh, and so you can check out, uh, you can look up David uh, Smalley. And he, I was looking up some of the books you've read um, that you've been the, the, the voice for the yeah. voice for on audible and, yeah. uh, and other things. And so, yeah, we really appreciate your time. Appreciate you coming out and, uh, and man, I'll be, uh, uh, as I told you when I, about your dog being, uh, you were worried about your dog yeah. the other day. Like I always, I, I told, I was sticking with somebody. I was like, I don't, I know David's okay with me saying, I'm going to pray for you and your dog. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not offensive. It. Like it'd no, be, it'd be kind it. of a jerk for me as a Christian, not to volunteer to pray for you and your dog. Like whether you believe it or not, like I do, why would I, why would I not? So no, I thought it was very sweet. I, yeah. I know that that means a lot to you. And so I, yeah, I absolutely. It. I'm glad your dog's okay. Thank you. All right. She's fine. Okay, good. Well, thanks everybody. On the medication or your prayers, but she's fine. <laughs> yeah. She's I don't see those in competition with each other. Not one bit. Um, okay, great. Thanks guys. And, um, well, I guess we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Reconstructive Faith. If you enjoyed what you heard or were challenged, please leave us a review. It'll help other people find us. If you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear discussed, shoot me an email at info at southspring.org. Reconstructed Faith is a resource of South Spring Baptist Church. Remember, don't give up, trust God, search for answers. <laughs>